we had one. It was amazing. And I think about that because the point of this sermon is Jesus won. He won. But if you're not looking at the replay, you know, like you might hear from your friend, oh man, did you see the game last night? Yeah, well, no, I didn't, but I heard about it. And yeah, that's pretty cool. The guy ran. If you're watching the game, you're like, man, I need to change my pants. This is unbelievable. Like, you know, it's like, it's totally different when you're seeing it, right? This morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I trust that God is going to help us see afresh something even greater than that. As, as John the Apostle in the Word of God in Revelation literally shares with us a vision of heaven that God gave him when he was in prison on the Isle of Patmos. So let's look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. And as we read this, remember, Jesus won. And he is worthy of your thoughts and of your trust and of your worship. Let's be reminded of that this morning. Jesus won. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. As you hear the word of God, let your imaginations lean forward. You're not going to imagine exactly what John saw, but let your mind expand to allow these words to really enter your heart deeply. Listen to God's word. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen! And the elders fell down and worshipped. God's Word. Let's pray. Father, You are amazing. Lord, lift our hearts to heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. Captivate our imaginations. Strengthen us for the mental work of digging into Your Word this morning. Help us to gird up the loins of our mind and be sober-minded and focused that we might be drawn to greater delight, to greater, deeper trust, and to more focused worship of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, fill us with Your Spirit that we might be able to drink the strong drink of the love of God through faith in Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus won. That's what we see here. He won. You know, I was thinking it would be kind of cool if in front of the doors of our church building, we just had a plaque that said, Jesus won with an exclamation point on it. Just to remind you, you know, the hassles of the morning, you know, only you and the Lord know what transpires in your household on a Sunday morning when you're spiritually attacked because you're going to worship, right? You and the Lord and your family know that kind of stuff. And it's, it, it, it can be dark at times, right? But when you come to worship, always remember this scene in heaven. There is a loud party going on that you cannot see. There is a replay on a screen that would make you jump up and whatever. There, but you have to use your imagination in obedience to the revelation of God's Word to engage in worship so that you're not thinking, man, when's he going to shut up? Or, man, I'm hungry or whatever. Like, yes, we're human and that's normal and stuff, but when we gather and worship, we can't see what's happening. So we need, as we sang, for the Lord to open our hearts, to open the eyes of our hearts to engage in worshiping Him. This year, Joel and I and, and others have talked about, this year we, we, we intend by the Spirit of God and the grace of God, to go deeper in all that we do. You know, as we've talked about, we may not look the same on the other end of COVID, but we want to go deep. And part of that is going deeper in our worship. And part of going deeper in our worship is actively, fightingly focusing our imagination on the Word of God. And actively preparing and remembering we are going to a party. It may not always be loud, and we may not always be smiling. We grieve, we lament, but we are joining in this celebration that is beyond our imagination, that one day we will experience visibly. It's amazing. So Jesus won. If you're taking notes, we're going to three things this, this morning. He won the will. You're like, what? I'll explain that. He won the war, and He won the worship. Let's look. Let's look into this more deeply. First, Jesus won the will. What in the world am I talking about? 
Look back at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who is seated on the throne, that is a representation of the Father, because the Lamb is going to come. So it's like in Revelation 4, they were praising the Father as Creator of all things, right? In heaven and earth. And so, like in the prophecy of Daniel, this is the fulfillment of that. The, the Ancient of Days, you know, the Lamb comes and, and takes the kingdom. But let's look. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Okay, what is that talking about? Well, in my research, I found out, and it's not just one commentator, so it's like, okay, maybe this is really true, that in this time period, in this era, in this general Greco-Roman world, a last will and testament was sealed with seven seals. Because there were seven witnesses to you writing out your last will and, te- and testament, and each will, uh, witness put their own seal on it. And that would, everyone who heard this read in that time period would get it. Oh, it's, it's a last will and testament. But also the fact that it's written on the front and the back, that's very rare. Most scrolls weren't done that way. And so that leads us back to the tablets of the Ten Commandments, which were written on the front and the back, which God calls the Book of the Covenant that was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. So there's this covenantal and then testamental, which they're synonymous, but there's a someone died and you're about to get inheritance aspect to it, and there's a I'm your God, you're my people aspect to it, all in this one scroll. So, so it's the will. What is it? The will. So if it's a will, what does that do? What is that talking about? I believe this is a will in probate, and I'll explain that. Probate is, a, is the legal process of proving the validity of a will to a court. Once the court determines the will is legitimate, the court grants permission to the executor to execute the will so assets can be properly transferred to beneficiaries. What if your mom died and you and your siblings are gathered around the table after the funeral or whatever with the lawyer and the lawyer goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't have the authority to be the executor of your will. You can't get your inheritance. You'd probably weep loudly, you know, like John, right? It's as if the will and testament of God, the new covenant being executed, the now, Lord, you've taken your power and begun to reign in this new way, is in probate. That's why John weeps loudly. Who will carry out the kingdom? Who will make thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? No one is found worthy. All hope is lost. We were getting to the, re- the great part of the movie and all of a sudden, the power's off. He's weeping, but then... Hallelujah, right? What do we see? What do we see? We hear the elder comforting John. Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has what? Conquered! He won! He's worthy! We have an executor. We have one who will carry out. We have one who will give you your inheritance of salvation for his people, and of judgment on unrepentant evil. It's what all of us long for, especially those who have been consistently persecuted, who have suffered in that way at the hands of their enemies. We long for salvation. We long for judgment. 
You can watch a whole movie and you're not going to be satisfied until the bad guy gets it in the end because you're made in the image of God and God is just and evil needs to be punished. Amen? That's what they're longing for here. And so we see Jesus, this vision, he's, he's given this title, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the prophecy in Genesis about the scepter not departing from the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, the promised one in Genesis 3. You know, we've gone through our Advent series of these promises to send Jesus. You know, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head, he shall bruise his heel. Same one. It's the promise expands and gets more detailed. There will be a king, a ruler, who will come from Judah and his dominion will be forever and ever. The son of David, God promised, I will raise up a son after you and his, he, he will sit on your throne and it will be forever and ever. This everlasting kingdom that we don't really know how to long for, to be honest. But God is teaching us for this. If you get the beauty of the kingdom, you'd be crying with John if, if someone says no one's worthy to take the scroll and open it. The scroll contains all hopes beyond our, even, even our imagination. And Jesus is worthy because he conquered to take that scroll and to open it. But when John looks <clears throat> at the lion of the tribe of Judah, the descendant of David who will sit on his royal throne, he does not see an Aslan-like lamb, I mean lion. And I had to remember this. Lambs are not huge. We kind of make an exception for Jesus. Like He's like this buff standing lamb with like a slit throat that's healed sort of. You know. No, you see, it's a tiny little wimpy lamb. You know, it's a little lamb. He's standing up. He's not dead, but he's probably got his throat slit and there's blood there. I saw a lamb. You're like, where's the lamb? Oh, oh, it's a lamb. Okay, whatever. It's got blood coming out of its throat. This is the one that the millions and millions of angels are screaming to in worship. It's amazing. But that's what he saw. I saw a lamb, verse 6, standing as though it had been slain. Slain lambs don't normally stand, so you got resurrection, right? He was slain, but he's alive. Jesus said earlier in the book, Behold, I, I, I am alive. I'm he who is dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. And I've got the keys of death and hell. It's amazing. Okay, so he won the will. Why? Because he won the war. It's our second point. He won the war. When, when, the, when the elder said, for he has conquered... What are you talking about? Sometimes we forget that there is a war and there was a war and Jesus won the war and His victory is unfolding in our lives right now and will be consummated as return. We, are, we get ignorant of the war because we're kind of into our own lives and, you know, sometimes Sunday morning you remember the war, you know. <laughs> so, but He won the war. What was this war for? Well, we hear it in the worship of, of those in heaven. It was the war for our salvation and for the judgment and punishment of all unrepentant evil crescendoing with the devil himself. The same promise we got in Genesis 3 and, and you know, Joel and Sean preaching us through the Advent series. Here is the cons we're approaching the consummation. But what we have is this transition of, okay, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, but what's he going to do with his all authority in heaven on earth when he was seated at the right hand of God? What's he doing with this power? What's he doing with this exaltation? He's bringing the kingdom, baby, in a new way. 
the whole earth is going to be saved. Some people will go to hell, but when we look back, we'll be like, truly, he saved the world. He saved the world. The war was for our salvation. Revelation 5, 9, listen to them cry out and worship. They connect his victory in the war with his worthiness of opening the scroll. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. So they give a reason. Now, he's intrinsically worthy, right? Because he's God in the flesh. But they're focusing on what he's done in this victory, his winning. They're cheering, watching the replay, right? For you were slain. Now wait, does being slain sound like winning to you? What kind of victory were even the disciples looking for before the Spirit of God opened their eyes after the resurrection? This ain't it, man. (laughs) This is not what you want to happen to your team. It would be like the guy getting tackled right before the finish line and, and you going, Yay, we won! Here's the scandal of the cross. Jesus won by losing. That sounds blasphemous, but it's not. If if this is supposed to shock you, this triumphant lamb, how does he conquer? By tearing their throats out. He'll do that later on when when he comes in judgment, right? But for now, how did he win the war for our salvation? He lost. He got killed, man. He was defeated on purpose, voluntarily knowing that this was the devil's mousetrap, that Satan would think he had won, and when he thought he had won, oops, you got pounced on by the Lion of Judah, who's the Lamb of God, slain at the cross in our place. Because by his being slain, he actually secured the war. He won the war at the cross. Listen to how they talk about this. Again, verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What does this tell you about the sufficiency and successfulness of the shed blood of Jesus at the cross? Some people think that when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it's like, I'm, I'm doing this and, and, I, and I hope it works for everyone and no one goes to hell But fingers crossed, hopefully they'll come to faith in me. This may be shocking, but it's in the Bible. The Bible does not say that Jesus, like, sort of paid the price, but but it may or may not actually do what he shed it for. They make a direct cause and effect relationship between the shedding of blood, of Jesus' blood, for their individual, particular sins, personally, savingly, and their salvation. Jesus successfully accomplished your salvation at the cross. We offer it to everyone, but because of this verse, we can offer an accomplished salvation to anyone. And if you receive that by faith alone, his blood worked for you. Yes, right? It's amazing. This will, we'll go back to this when we think about our trust. Well, we can talk about it now. Is he not worthy of your trust? It's a simple transaction that is completely out of your control. It happened before you were born. You can't get unsaved if Jesus shed his blood for you, right? It's, it's about him and his, it is finished. He already won the war. You know, quit putting your helmets back on, right? In one sense, right? Okay. So, you have redeemed us to God by your blood. 
So it was the war for our salvation, but it's also the war against the devil and those with him. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. It says, Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You hear that? Now, yes, in one sense, the devil still prowls around like a lion, seeking to devour whom he may devour. But Jesus has already defeated him at the cross, and Jesus' victory is, is just unfolding until the consummation at his return. He keeps saving people. And the devil will be alive forever and ever, tormented body and soul in the lake of fire, whatever that means. Well, I guess he doesn't have a body. He'll be tormented, perfectly tortured for all eternity, Right? Um, but even now, his, his, his mission has been destroyed. So Jesus beat the devil just like the promise. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel, right? Jesus did not crush the head of the devil despite having his heel bit at the cross. It was the very biting of the heel that destroyed the devil. Amen? And accomplished your salvation. So because of these things, lastly, he won the worship. Now again, he's, he's worthy in and of himself, right? As God in the flesh, that's the second person of the Trinity who's always been God. As Joel reminded us Christmas Eve, there was never a time when the Son of God was not, right? If you try to put candles on his birthday cake, you know, the universe would blow up. So, right? So, <clears throat> but there's something that's, that, that's, there's a before and after here in this story, you see? Because Jesus, as the God-man, had to earn the kingdom in our place. He came as the last Adam to do what Adam failed to do. He had to obey in our place. He had to be the true man, the, the, vice, the, the ruler on earth in God's place. And he did that perfectly in our place. And then he took the punishment for our failures. He had to do those things to then receive the kingdom. Psalm 2 says, uh, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. It's talking about Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which was his confirmation that he had received this royal adoption, he, even though he was always already the royal son of God, as the God-man, he earned adoption in our place, which is royal adoption, and then he sat down at the throne of God. He had to do this. There's a before and after. As we read in the call to worship, it says, you have taken your power and have begun to reign. Was God not already sovereign all throughout history? Of course he's sovereign. Of course he's reigning, but the point is, with his om omnipotent power and omniscient knowledge, you know, the seven spirits of God sent all the earth, he's going to do something different with his power. He's going to save the world, not just the Jews. He's going to save everyone who calls on his name from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. He, tongue. He's conquered the world. So therefore he won the worship far beyond the greatest celebrations you, you've ever been a part of or have watched on TV is the worship that Jesus is worthy of and that he is receiving in heaven now 
and that he will receive from you body and soul when he resurrects you from the dead. Yeah, when you're a wispy spirit in heaven temporarily, but the goods happen when he raises you from the dead and with an unbleeding throat, you can sing louder than you can possibly imagine with more joy in your heart and focus than you would ever imagine on this earth. And you can be caught up in the pleasure and consummation and worship of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen to their non-boring worship. Verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then you have, so the elders, the 24 elders represent the church. You've got the apostles and the, prophet, or the, and the tribes. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, represents the whole church old covenant new covenant you got the church you got these four living creatures who we learn in revelation 4 were these angelic beings but they had faces like different animals so somehow they were connected and representing of creation of, of nature right and then you have lots of other angels myriads of myriads ten thousands of ten thousands like millions and millions and millions of these beings that if you were to see one you would probably be tempted to fall down and worship it just like john was twice and his vision and revelation. They're all shouting, right? Look at verse 12. All of these, these, the, these elders and these, these creatures and these angels saying with a loud voice, verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then he says, every creature in heaven on earth and earth, he goes through the whole, no, every creature, right? There's no creature in the corner that's like, eh, I don't know about that, right? Every creature crying out to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That's amazing. God shares his glory with no one else, right? So him who sits on the throne as an image of the father and to the lamb, equal worship and implies the spirit Equal worship. So there is a triune God. And Jesus is the divine Son of God in the flesh forever now. He'll always have a human body forever. And He did that for us. They receive equal worship. He's worthy of equal worship with the Father. Right? To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You know, some weeks maybe we'll try, if you're physically able, like maybe we'll, we'll actually like get on our knees before the Lord. We might try it this year. We'll see. We, Jesus deserves our excitement. Now, not every worship service is going to be as loud. And, you know, yes, we grieve and we mourn. And you don't go to someone like, Hey, you're supposed to be excited, man. I know your kid just died, but you're supposed to be no, 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 no. Obviously, no, no. But even in the midst of unspeakable horror, there is hope because of Jesus' victory. There is a future resurrection where death has been conquered. Anything you can fear has been wiped out by Jesus, ultimately. And he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our deep, sometimes loud. You know, the Bible talks about them shouting, right? So we don't shout in every song, but when it's a shouty song, don't be afraid to shout, all right? You're, don't leave me hanging, all right? So, sh loud, joyful worship. You know how to do that because you've been to a football game, right? <laughs> like, 
he's worthy of our excitement, of our focus. He's worthy of, of us being captivated by his glory. So in light of all these things, remember, he's worthy of your thoughts. You know, yes, there are times when you're not thinking about Jesus. Like if you work on an assembly line, the thing will blow up if you're not focusing on what you're doing, right? Or if you're doing calculus for some physics thing or whatever, you know, you've got to think about the formulas. You don't be like, Jesus, I'm trying to think about you. but Right. But here's a challenge for you. In this new deep year of 2021, might Jesus be more in your thoughts? Guys, if your mind is a man cave, is Jesus hanging out in your man cave? Are you, are you hanging out with Jesus in your man cave? Like, are you thinking about Jesus more than just on Sunday morning or like, Lord, thanks for this food, right? May Jesus be more frequently and, and pleasantly in our thoughts this year. Amen? Amen. He's worthy of your trust. Shoot that cloud of guilt down out of the skies with the cross of Jesus Christ. As you repent of your sins and call in the name of Jesus, let His Word of grace remove those clouds from your heart. Shut the mouth of the devil by trusting in Jesus. Amen? Sometimes we, we're afraid to like punch back. But you've got to punch back with the Gospel against your own evil conscience against the demons and the devil who accuse you and your thoughts, and against people who say false things about you. You stand on the it is finished of Jesus. He is worthy of your wholehearted trust. Here's a way to think about it. Jesus died for you on the cross. He redeemed you to God by his blood. He deserves for you to drink that cup of joy. He's like, here's this cup of joy. You really are forgiven. Don't be like, no, I'm not. Eh. You know, like, I'll wait a while before I drink that joy of forgiveness. No, you just, you grab that cup. You're like, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. And you grab that cup and you chug the love of God. Amen? Drink trustfully more of God's love this year. And he's worthy of your worship. Now, that's obvious. And we come to worship, but this is, I'm almost done. What was Jesus forbidden to do to the devil? When, when the devil tempted him, and it was a real temptation because the devil had authority over these things, to give him all the kingdoms of the earth if he would just bow down and worship the devil, what was, what was the devil tempting Jesus to do? That's an interesting way to define worship. Okay? There are things you can do to people you love. You can trust them. right? You can delight in them. You can praise them. You're like, babe, you look awesome. right? You can praise people, and it's not sinful, right? So how do you distill what it is to worship someone? That Jesus could do this to the devil, he could do this, but if he did this, he would be sinning and we would have gone to hell. What is that? You get to do that to Jesus. You get to do it not just this morning, but all week long, and you're reading his word. I would suggest that you get down on your knees by your bed sometime. You don't do it all the time, but... And just like... Do to Jesus what he couldn't do to the devil. Jesus, I worship you. You're my Lord, my Savior. I give you myself. You're my all. I can do nothing apart from you. You alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're my God and no one else. I'm yours. I love you. Help me. You are so good. Thank you for saving me.
Thank you for being with me. Thank you that you give me a part in your kingdom. I'm so thankful. I'm so unworthy, but you are worthy, and you've given me your worth. It's amazing. I love you, Lord. Thank you. May God help me do that more, because my life will change this year if I do to Jesus what he couldn't do to the devil. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for renewing us in your love, Lord. Undull our hearts, Lord. Undarken our imaginations. Claim our man cave, Jesus. Be in our thoughts more, Lord. And light us on fire for you. Help us to take more boldly our place in your kingdom and our our warring part of it, Lord. Show us our gifts this year more deeply. Show us your love more deeply. And help us to drink your love more deeply, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.